And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks, everyone, for joining me one more time before we get to the actual event. The NFL draft is set to begin on Thursday evening, and by uh, all means, we have a lot to get into throughout the show today because uh, there are just so many different angles to ponder. Uh, the draft is, for me, one of my favorite weeks of the entire year from, a, from an NFL calendar standpoint, just because there are so many possibilities it's kind of like a puzzle, trying to put all these little pieces together, whether it be in full round mock drafts or for what the Bills are going to do. It, it really scratches the itch in a, in a lot of ways because I, I like to try and logically perceive things. So this week is really fun. I know it's not like everyone's cup of tea, but you know it's it's the perfect blend of having being able to have opinions if if you're a fan of a team and you know, still maintaining optimism that your team is mostly going to get better uh, by the end of the draft unless you're, you know, a team that consistently strikes out in the draft, which uh, there are some guilty teams of that uh, out there in, in the NFL draft and in the NFL to date. But today I wanted to kind of take a different approach to the show rather than bring to you my topics of of what to, what to perceive with the draft in terms of the bills and everything like that. I wanted to get a gauge on what you all wanted to know about. So I put a, a post on Twitter a, a couple of days ago. I think it was Monday. All these days are blurring together. And I wanted to know what questions you had more than anything leading up to this NFL draft because there's just so much to consider. Everyone has an opinion on just about everything at this point. We have reached maximum capacity of all of that. So uh, I figure this is a way to kind of get everyone's heads in the right place and uh, and as we get closer to the actual draft itself. So there were a lot of great questions, a lot of excellent submissions. I'm sorry if I don't get to your question um, but, uh, you know, we've only got a good 40 to 50 minutes, uh, for, for the program today. Um, all right, so let's get straight to it and just a little warm up, uh, warm up question, because I always find this to be interesting with, uh, with, you know, how to perceive what the bills may or may not do. And this question comes from at Bodot dot, great name. Uh, how much should we read into pre-draft visits with the bills? in the first round pick? Well, that's a good question that has like not a lot of sample size to, to go with for a couple of different reasons. For one, actually a few different reasons. For one, Brandon Bean wasn't 
here until 2018. So that kind of rules out the 2017 draft because he wasn't the one making the ultimate decision to draft Tredavious White. The second part of this is that they traded away their 2020 first round pick, which wound up becoming Stefan Diggs. And they're very okay with that considering the extension they just gave him this offseason. And then the third thing was the fact that the pandemic um, really put 30 visits, which is what they're called, not top 30, 30 visits, um, it pushed those to the side as you know they were trying to figure out what the right method to be able to interview prospects, speak with them. So 2020 was on Zoom. 2021, there were no in-person visits, so there's nothing really there. So we really only have three picks to go by, which was Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds, and Ed Oliver. And all three of those guys visited uh, One Bills Drive. So if you want to draw a conclusion from that, it was a couple of years ago, but generally speaking, the Bills have picked, you know, a, a, a good handful of, of their picks over the last four drafts from guys that have visited. There's some non-first round examples that are that are out there as well that they've that they've done this with. Like Vashawn Joseph was a random one that that visited and he wound up being a fifth round pick. Um and you know they they had a a, a Zoom interview with Zach Moss, I think it was in 2020. So they're they have shown interest by selecting uh, in some of the guys that they have brought around for visits. So I think there is a certain amount to be looked into for that. I don't think it's a it's a catch-all and saying, okay, only these players are going to be their first round pick or only these players are going to be their picks throughout the draft. But it is a good place to start. And, uh, you know, Ryan Talbot of Syracuse.com did a great job compiling all of it. So I, I urge you to go check that out. Um, and I think there were 17 documented, uh, reported visits of the 30 this year. Um, actually 18, because I think there was a, a new one in, in Joshua Azudu from North Carolina. He's an interior offensive lineman. So there's there's 18 of them. I urge you to go uh, go check that out because, you know, might be able to get some idea of what they, what they might be looking at. All right, now that we're warmed up, let's get into the nitty-gritty here uh, with, with some of the individual positional questions, draft theory, stuff like that. And by the way, if you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com. Check out my annual draft files column. It took me an absurd amount of time to put together. Uh, That's not the reason you should check it out, but it it is very long, and it is basically a stream of consciousness, (laughs) but... It is one of my favorite columns to write throughout the year just because it, it mixes a lot of like historical trends, context clues, clues, hints that you can get from quotes, uh, certain ways that that uh, the team might be leaning at some positions where things make sense in the scope of their roster build, all of that stuff. If, if you are a draft nerd, a Bills nerd, it's going to be right up your alley. A lot of charts to trade up, trade down possibilities. Like it, I... I I think, like I said, if you're a nerd, you'll you'll have fun reading, reading that. That's over at theathletic.com, and uh, you can find that right on my Twitter feed as well. All right, let's get to it. The next question comes from at Josh Allen Stats, who says, if the Bills do not pick a cornerback in the first three rounds, 
What does that mean? A veteran still coming? That they believe in Dane that much? Again, that's from at Josh Allen Stats. Thanks so much for the question. I think, you know, as much as uh, you've probably read and, and heard from me thinking that this year's first round pick is far deeper than just the need at cornerback in 2022, I do believe that this year is the right one to uh, to address the second boundary cornerback position at some point in the draft. Don't know that it needs to be in the first round, and there are some... Uh, conflicting opinions about this cornerback class in general, especially at the top, as to whether or not it would be worth it. Like Jim Nagy, who is the Senior Bowl Executive Director, he spent 18 years as an NFL scout, watches a ton of film on all of these guys, called this class average with the cornerbacks and said there are some fool's gold in the early rounds. So take that for what it's worth. Fool's gold is a really tough term to hear this time of year, especially if you're a pro cornerback at 25. But uh, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some good players available at some point. Uh, if they don't take one in the third round to, or in the first three rounds to answer your questions, I think it's probably a compilation of a few different things, and a couple of which that that you brought up. The the Dane Jackson factor, I think they, they are more optimistic about him and there's a stronger belief in him than what is out there. And I had another question that I didn't put on my list, but I wanted to get to just because Dane Jackson's coming up that asked, you know, what, what did you see from Dane Jackson in, uh, in the film after Tredavious White's injury? And a lot of it was good run support, which they really like. I think he's a, he's a strong tackler. Um, he's mostly, uh, sound on his responsibilities. There are some times where he gets himself into trouble in, in pass coverage. I don't think it's like a, oh, he, this dude's awful, get him off the field, uh, like Russell Bodine back in whatever it was, 2017, 2018. I don't, think, I don't think that's the case. I think it's where he is heading into his third season is pretty similar to where Levi Wallace was heading into his third season, just with a few, uh, a fewer games of experience. Because at that point, Levi had basically the second half of 2000 or his first season, and then he had all of his second season. Dane Jackson was more of a a part time starter in those first two years, so he's just a, a little bit more behind where where Levi Wallace was, just on, on an experience standpoint. So I do think there's there's uh, optimism there. I think the the other part of it that you brought up is a vet still coming. That's very much a possibility. You know, there are a, a few different things that they could do. Whether it's go out and sign Joe Hayden, who Von Miller admitted he was trying to recruit on the golf course uh, throughout the off season. Kyle Fuller is another name that's still sitting out there. Jack Rabbit Jenkins was released by the Titans, so he's still sitting out there. The Bills could also, if they wanted to. Trade for James Bradbury of of the Giants, and it's someone that Sean McDermott is familiar with. Would they necessarily have to part with a pick this year? Would the Giants necessarily want a pick this year? It seems like they're all geared towards 2023 as it is, and I'm willing to bet that the Giants and Joe Shane, their GM, would be willing to eat some 
some of that base salary so that way they could manufacture a better draft pick if they if they really wanted to if that's the route that the bills wanted to go down so there are some options there and the other part of it is if they don't take one in the first three rounds is that they feel a lot better about Tredavious White's potential to get back quickly than maybe some of the fear that's out there externally. They have not said, there, is, there has not been a whisper of skepticism about his timeline. All that they have pointed out is that Tredavious White has been in the building every single day, working hard, that he's going to try and beat whatever timeline that they have, that he remains on schedule, and the other piece of the puzzle is that they're going to be smart about it and not force him back too early. Now, what does too early mean? That probably means like right in the middle or at the start of training camp because when he suffered his injury, it was late November. And his surgery, which Jordan Poyer pointed out in one of his interviews, happened in mid-December. So nine months past mid-December takes you to mid-September of this coming season. So let's say he's out for, I don't know, the first five, six games of the season. If that's the case, then I think they can live with Dane Jackson and veteran player uh, going through the, the first games of the season. They do need a piece. Somewhere they're going to need it. But they have the cap space. They have... A full complement of picks in 2023. They have options here. They don't have to force it at at number 25 or even in the second or third round if they don't want to. But bringing this full circle, I do think they should pick a a cornerback at some point in the first four rounds, maybe five rounds, uh, just because they haven't invested in it since Bean has been there for that second boundary spot. And I think there are some interesting players in that second third, early fourth range that uh, that could, that might not be ready right away, but that I think could really be a nice solution for them on the long term. Because they don't, they don't need this player this year to contribute if they have Dane Jackson and a veteran, which I'm kind of expecting them to. Um, they can develop this player in the background, this rookie in the background. Uh, Dane Jackson's going to be a restricted free agent, probably bring him back next year, and then see if see if this rookie player can get ready to go to start in 2023. So there are some names. I, I dropped a few of them in, in that article I was talking about, the draft files, um, and there are certain you know, arm length thresholds that they look for. Uh, there, there's a few that stand out, so I encourage you to go check that out. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, 
has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, next up, we have, let's see. Sorry, I'm going through my Twitter right now. Are the Giants friends or foes, and where do you see gaps on the roster apart from cornerback? That's from at Siren underscore Sparks, which goes by Mark Robbins. Uh, I would say the Giants are mostly friends because and and the one thing uh mark cited th- that uh, might make them foes is because of shane's knowledge of what the bills are going to try and do i think the only way that that uh they would become a foe is if the giants pulled a trade up to get ahead of the bills situation but it it really seems like the giants are in total hey let's accrue as many assets for 2023 as we can (laughs) territory. Um, I think it also might give Bean a little bit of a a leg up knowing that the the Giants might know what he wants to do. So let's say he gets offered a trade to move back to like number 40 or something like that. Let's say they, they make a deal with the Seahawks. That moves them down below the uh the Giants pick in the second round and if the Bills were targeting a certain position you know that that might that might keep them from from uh pulling the trigger on that deal if they feel like the player that they want down at that spot is potentially someone Joe Shane would would target because they kind of have similar principles in in how to build their roster so that's the only way it could make them a foe. I think they're they're mostly friends because, you know, they, they'll have a good line of communication. If there's a deal to be had between the two teams at some point on draft day, I'm, I'm sure it would go a lot smoother than, than some other uh, locations. And they're not going to try to screw each other over. And Brandon Bean has said as much. Uh, the... The Bradbury aspect is interesting. And I don't know that we're going to see a resolution on that during the draft. I think it's more likely we see a re- resolution on that after the draft because of how much that they want to build, the Giants want to build towards the 2023 draft just because they, they want a quarterback. They You would tend to think they're going to take what the blueprint of what happened in Buffalo, apply it to the Giants, and then hope to get land that quarterback in a much stronger class next year. Then the other question you had was, uh, where else do you see gaps on the roster apart from cornerback? A lot of it is really just depth stuff at least for 2022. I think the the bigger the bigger point to what they need to target at least in the early rounds are positions that will become a need after this year. You know, you can you can look at depth stuff right now like they don't have a third linebacker of note behind Edmonds and Milano and that's a that's a depth issue. Uh they don't have a good running back behind Devin Singletary, or at least not one that they can trust. That's a depth issue. The cornerback thing you can bring up too. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, 
Interior offensive line is another big one where they don't really have that finite first player in of what they have on their roster right now. I think right now they have Cody Ford, Greg Mance, um, Ike Butker, who's still recovering from a torn Achilles, and then maybe David Quessenberry if they like him more inside at guard rather than the tackle. So that's a spot. So, and tight end as well. I think another one is, you know, they, they could use a developmental third tight end. But it really comes down to what are the needs when you're looking at the contracts that are expiring in this coming year. And that's where, you know, Brandon Bean has kind of spoken to that effect in the last couple of years. Where they're not looking at number 25, probably their, their second round pick, maybe their third, as one that, you know, they're they're trying to... Fill the need of 2022 right now. They don't look at the the draft that way. They look at it from a long-term lens. And Bean even referenced last year in April at his pre-draft press conference that, you know, if there's a situation where maybe they got someone on the final year of their deal, bring in the rookie, uh, have them compete, and, you know, maybe they win the job, maybe they don't. Uh, try and carve out a role, develop, and then they become your starter in 2000, in, in the next season. And we've seen the Bills do that uh, the first or over the last two first-round picks, which were Ed Oliver when he uh, was a rookie. Jordan Phillips was still here, and then they moved on from Jordan Phillips because his contract expired. Greg Rousseau, same deal last year. Um, kind of a rotational role, even though he was the technical starter every week, wound up with 49% of snaps. And uh, because Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison were both on expiring contracts, they felt the need to have a potential, you know, 65, 60 to 65% snap starter in-house already before needing to really depend on a rookie. Uh, so th- that's how they've handled it. So positions like running back, um, because Singletary's on the final year of his deal. Tight end, because uh, Dawson Knox, O.J. Howard, and Tommy Sweeney are all on the final years of their deal. Interior offensive line, Roger Saffold is only on a one-year contract before it voids. The linebacker spot, which Tremaine Edmonds is in his fifth-year option, and there is some question as to whether or not that they'll extend him. I tend to think that they still probably will. But, you know, we just have to see how that plays out. And Cornerback, because Dane Jackson is a restricted free agent, so they still have roster control on him. And then safety, because Jordan Poyer, obviously, who we spoke about a lot on the last podcast with Matt Beauvais, he is uh, he's an, an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season and certainly not happy with his current compensation. And side note, just to that... Um, and I'm going off on tangents, so I apologize. But the the Poyer thing struck me as interesting because I, I wrote about it la- after Bean's press conference last week, how they don't like to negotiate through the media, but you can always kind of tell when Bean wants to get something done past this season. We heard it with Josh Allen. We certainly heard it with Stefan Diggs a month before he signed that extension. 
And today, we're taping this on Tuesday afternoon after they announced the fifth-year option for Ed Oliver. Brandon Bean was on One Bills Live. And uh, hat tip to uh, Elena Getzenberg of ESPN who tweeted this out. Said, so we've got him for this year. We've got him for next year. Quote, and hopefully longer. That line of thinking right there is intent. You know what we did not hear out of Brandon Bean at all during the entire discourse around Jordan Poyer and that pre-draft press conference? Intent for future. We heard a lot of past tense. We heard a lot of present tense. We heard a lot of, you know, we love Jordan. Uh, He's been a big part of what we want to do. We want him here. Um, But they really weren't giving an indication that they were willing to play ball in a grand way. Not like they did with with Oliver, Diggs, or Allen. So just kind of a, a side piece to this whole draft that maybe you should be thinking about like, okay, what's going on with Poyer? And um, what happens if they don't get him what he wants? Where does, where does this thing go from here? Just a very interesting side topic to this whole draft debate that we're having. All right, on to the next question. Day two linebackers that could be in play as potential long-term Edmonds replacements. In general, it doesn't seem like it's gotten enough discussion. That comes from Nick Wiltsey, at N. Wiltsey. Thanks for the question, Nick. Yeah, the the day two linebacker stuff is interesting, and but I, I do want to push back slightly on something you termed there, which was Edmonds replacements. I don't necessarily know that it's going to be Edmonds replacements. I think it might wind up being because they still really like him and I think they want to get a long-term deal done with him. A lot of it is going to depend on value, cost of doing business and, you know, how much cap space they have. But I do think that he's one of those core guys that, that they would like to get locked in because he's still so young, still so many years left in his prime. And um, I'm sure Bean would like to hang on to those guys. Anyway, the, the day two linebackers is still a bit of a need. So I'm, I'm looking anywhere from like late, that late second round pick I think is on the table. Uh, the third round pick is certainly on the table. Early day three is on the table. There are some interesting guys like Chad Muma out of, uh, out of Wyoming uh, seems to be, he can kind of be that hybrid middle linebacker, outside linebacker and, and fill in on, on base packages. Um, you know, Troy Anderson from Montana State is another one that stands out. Christian Harris from Alabama that they had in for a visit not too long ago. Uh, so there are there are some of those guys in that in that day two range. Then you get into like third fourth round. Like Malcolm Rodriguez from Oklahoma State is someone who I think is is pretty compelling uh, as you know potential fill in for Matt Milano on that weak side spot. Um, Terrell Bernard from Baylor is is another one that that stands out that I think could be good as like a as a developmental pass coverage threat and also uh, give you some some juice on special teams the one one player that's intriguing to me is Brandon Smith from from Penn State you know super big um he's got it, it seems like the athleticism the length the height the weight is slightly reminiscent of what they liked about Tremaine Edmonds but you know Far less polished than than where Edmonds is, and he's got some questions to answer. So I wonder if they kind of 
maybe see him in the fifth or sixth round and go, okay, that's 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 a guy that that uh, we'd like to develop in house, maybe into a, a long range third round linebacker. The other one I didn't mention was a Quay Walker from Georgia, but I think he has a chance to sneak into that late first round, early second round range. Um, so, but if he's there at 57, it'd be awfully tempting because he's got that height, weight, um, ridiculous traits, measurables that they usually look for in their picks. So that might be hard to ignore if, if he's still on the board at 57. All right, next up we have... From Matt S. at LH259, what is the one draft move no one is expecting Bean to make that we'll all look back on as making total sense? Now, if you read that that column of mine this this morning, this is not going to be any surprise to, to you, what, what I'm saying here. But that move to me is Kyle Hamilton, the, the Notre Dame safety. He checks off so many boxes of what they're generally looking for in draft prospects. Someone that you can try and hit a home run with at the position, uh, check because he's got insane measurables, traits. Uh, he, he can basically do anything you want in your defensive backfield. He can drop down as a sub-package linebacker, which would then fill that third linebacker need in the interim here. Uh, in 2022, the only thing he's not really going to be doing for you is playing boundary cornerback. But everything else, strong safety, free safety, big nickel, regular nickel, um, you know, just being a a sub-package, one-on-one coverage against tight ends or big slot receivers. Like These, these are all things that, that Hamilton can do, can force turnovers. Like the the dude is legit. He's he's really fun to to watch if you have never gone and seen him. And he's doing it. He's moving like a lot of smaller guys in a six foot four, two hundred twenty pound package, thirty three inch long arms. Uh, and the Bills value the safety position really highly, and we've seen that since they've they've come on board by issuing multiple contracts to both Poyer and Hyde to put them near the top of market. So that's that's one to keep an eye on there. Um, I would say that they, they would need to trade up to get him. I would I certainly am not ruling it out by any stretch of the imagination because he fits the profile. Like to me, and I and I mentioned this to one of the commenters uh, on on the draft files article, is that Hamilton, I think there's a correlation with him as a prospect at safety as to what Edmonds was as a prospect to middle linebacker. Not to say like, you know, similar responsibilities, anything like that, but just that that rare height, weight, um, and traits that you get with someone in a smaller package, but in someone that's that's bigger that can potentially you know, be something that no one else has in the NFL. That is just Brandon Bean to a T. He's always looking for those guys. There's talk that Kyle Hamilton might be falling down the board, that he might not go in until like the teens, maybe sometime after 15. I could definitely see a world where Brandon Bean goes, you know what? 
I'm not hellbent on keeping number 57 overall. Let me go get this guy that I'm excited about in Kyle Hamilton. It crosses off a lot of different things. It it gives you that uh, waiting waiting uh, that waiting room guy to be that starting safety alongside Micah Hyde in 2023. It gives you that base linebacker that he can play because he's big enough to do it, uh, which they don't play a lot of. So it's not as though they would be putting too much on on his plate as a rookie. You can play him on special teams a bunch just to get him on the field. It's it's a lot in the way that McDermott had to utilize Shaq Thompson in his rookie season after the Panthers took him in the first round, even though they didn't have a starting role for him because Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis were both there. A lot in the same way. So there's just there's way too many things that that are like okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Bean loves players like that. Important position of the defense. You know, certainly helps them in 2022 in a in a couple of different ways at least. Could give them a, a really nice player to cover some tight ends in, in 2022 that have beaten them in the past. Yeah, that all kind of works there. And you can move on from Jordan Poyer. The only trouble with that is what happens if Jordan Poyer's like you just drafted my replacement what's the deal there like and you know maybe the bills throw some money at him uh just to get by this year and then Poyer hopes he hits it big in free agency next year but uh yeah that's that's the only risk that you run but Hamilton is just so impressive of a prospect just turned 21 years old which also, which is also another um, check uh, on the list. Yeah, he, that that's the one, I think, Matt, that uh, we would look back on and be like, yep, that made all the sense in the world. Okay, let's go to... Let's see, there was a position. Ah, yes. If the Bills add a running back, shouldn't they add someone who brings something to the table that they currently lack, such as a home run threat and three-down ability? That comes from... Matt in Cleveland at Trader Matt eighty seven, absolutely. I think uh, it it really depends on how early that they're willing to do it. Now I'm of the belief that they would absolutely take Brees Hall at twenty five. I think he's very seriously in the conversation, and I know there has been some pushback since the first time I mocked it to them back in March that I started talking to uh, about it before a little bit before that, but. All that matters are not the mock drafts. It's what the team thinks. And the team has said on multiple occasions that they are perfectly fine with taking a running back in the first round if that player gives them a dynamic element that they are missing and that uh, that they have a first-round grade on. So they also admitted that they have had first-round grades on multiple running backs since Bean has been in Buffalo. It all kind of adds up. And, you know, you remember last year when the whole Travis Etienne stuff happened, there was a lot of reporting that they were interested in him, which I absolutely believe Etienne thought that it was it was going to be Buffalo for him, and then Jacksonville kind of swooped in after Kadarius Tony was taken by the Giants. 
it all lines up to where the Bills would be interested in a player like that. And look look what they tried to do this offseason. They just tried to give J.D. McKissick a two-year contract that had an average value of $3.5 million. Like, that's that's nothing to sneeze at. That's not a veteran minimum contract. In, in the scope of running backs, that's a pretty solid resource. And they've already got almost $2.5 million invested on the cap this year in Devin Singletary alone because of his... Uh, escalator in in the final year of his contract so that would be what six million going to the the running back position in 2022 alone and there's a lot of other contributing factors to it like i think they want like like uh matt pointed out they want someone that gives them an element to their offense that they don't possess which is if they run you better be damn sure that you have that player. Otherwise, they can make you pay in the worst way. Like, Devin Singletary is really good, and he's got good vision. He's elusive to a certain degree, but he's not really breaking a game wide open. He's going to get caught. That's that's just It's just not the speed that he has. And he certainly doesn't have the power that that uh, some other players with that speed would, would have. So it's just kind of, he's he's a fine starting running back. And he meant a lot to them down the stretch last year and, and gave them the threat to run. But doesn't have that home run ability. He can catch the ball, but is he going to like break a screen wide open? Probably not. Is he going to break a swing pass wide open? No, but he, he might, he might, uh, barrel over somebody and and try and, you know, get to the first down marker. That's Singletary. By adding someone in the first round that has that multiple explosive element to their game, that's got to be something that they're really intrigued by, which is why that they were likely drawn to Travis Etienne in last year's draft, why they were drawn to J.D. McKissick in this year's offseason. Something that they don't have on the roster. The other pieces to this, I think they would like someone that has a strong working knowledge and the patience to execute strategies or runs in a zone blocking scheme, which I think we're going to see a lot more of in 2022. That's another thing Brees Hall does does really well. And he did it behind a pretty bad offensive line. I would say they're like below average, not not the worst, but below average unit. He had to make do with a lot of bad blocking reps in front of him and and he mostly did a nice job with it. So, having those zone principles, having the patience that he has, um it's it's an impressive thing to kind of project over to the Bills. And then the other side of it because you know, the, the third down ability is so important from a pass catching perspective. He's solid at pass protection, which he's going to need to get better at in, in his first season. But the Bills aren't trying to, wouldn't be trying to put him on the field all the time in his rookie season. That's just not how they operate. But there is a there is a base to work with with him as opposed to some other running backs out there. And then the final piece of it, which is why they would probably consider taking a running back at 25th overall, 
is because they want to take more off of Josh Allen's plate. They, not not in terms of like throw the ball less, because I don't want I don't want that to be confused here. I think they still want to be a dynamic passing offense. What I think they want to take out of their game plan, not completely, but they would like to do it a lot less, are these design quarterback runs. And, of course, the last three years, it was one of their most effective means of moving the ball on the ground, which is a damning factor to what they've been trying to do carrying the ball in itself. So all of these Josh Allen keepers, eventually he is going to take a hit that he's not going to get up from right away. Like It is miraculous watching him take the hits that he does on a game-to-game basis and watching him just pop right up. He's, he's really tough, and you have to give him credit for that. But how many times do they want to play with fire? So if you're dialing that back and giving those design quarterback runs to a regular running back, you're still keeping your same pass-run split. And you're still being dynamic in that sense. But now the teams have to account for another piece of the puzzle. Like Suddenly, the screen game is much more daunting for a team to defend. RPOs with either giving the handoff to Brees Hall where there's more wide-open blocking... And then having to defend Stefan Diggs on a slant, Gabriel Davis on a slant. There are just so many ways that they can utilize him without dedicating their entire offense to a run-first team. Like They don't want to be Jonathan Taylor and the Colts. They want to be Josh Allen, the passing offense with the Bills, and this dynamic front. I think Brees Hall, despite the the hangups with taking a running back in the first round, I think it would mean a lot to them because McDermott loves to have the threat to run. If anything happens to Devin Singletary, that threat to run is gone completely. And then you're having to over-rely on on, uh, Josh Allen to run the ball again. And they don't want that, I don't think. Could they wait on a running back? Sure, they could. Like, Isaiah Spiller, someone that's that's really intriguing at that 57 spot. James Cook uh, in the third round, maybe. But the only thing is, both of those players are missing something. Spiller's missing that that breakout speed. He's probably going to get caught from behind most times. Super fun runner to watch. Three down potential, potential, but doesn't have that, that I'm going to punch this in for six element to him. In terms of from a long way out. James Cook, you know. More of a, a pass catching back, more like a McKissick than than a Brees Hall or a or an Isaiah Spiller. And so you're but you're sacrificing when you have him on the field, it's just more of a, a complementary option, at least right now, from from what I've seen of him. Brees Hall is the mix of all of that. And then I know a lot of you are probably wondering, okay, get to Kenneth Walker. Let's talk about Kenneth Walker. He's kind of a popular name out there right now. The 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 one aspect to Walker that I have a little bit of trouble with is the third down stuff. Like if we're talking about Spiller missing something in the home run element and we're talking about James Cook missing something in terms of, you know, just the 
regular carries. He's more of a, a third down pass catching option. Then I think what Kenneth Walker is missing is that full scale third down ability. And I'm not just talking about catching passes. When we look at the uh, what what the Bills want out of their running backs on third downs, yes, it's it's some pass catching. And Kenneth Walker did not have a ton of opportunities to catch the ball this past season at Michigan State and surely before that uh, at Wake Forest. But that's not my biggest hang-up because he's a football player. He can catch the ball. It's about the pass protection. And the scouting report from the athletic draft expert on Kenneth Walker's pass protection is not great. Quote, low batting average as a pass blocker, and his, his technique needs to be rebuilt from the ground up, guilty of half-hearted cuts or shoulder chips. That is kind of a non-starter. Now, not to say they would rule him out completely, but it's a hang-up, and it's going to be less likely to play him on third down. So what value is he adding to your team right now, other than giving Devin Singletary some breaks? They also didn't have him in for a visit, uh, or excuse me, there was no reported pre-draft contact from the Bills to Kenneth Walker. Doesn't mean that there wasn't at all, but just haven't heard about it. And there has been some talk of Walker um, visiting with teams out there. I made sure to check that just to make sure it wasn't like a completely silent situation. Just food for thought on the running back situation and why I think Brees Hall should be a lot more in, in the discussion, and I think it is now, but should be thought as a realistic possibility at 25. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, uh, let's go to the BM Bach, at the BM Bach, which his name is Braden. Bean made some comments about how receiver classes are only going to get deeper. I wonder just how much they would like a round one receiver compared to other positions. Do you think they're more inclined to trade up in the third to grab a premium receiver than spend a premium first? Excuse me. So that's, that's a... I'm glad you picked up on that, Brayden, because that was a point that I think camp uh, is a little understated. They have been of the belief, 
and really this has not been the first time they have mentioned stuff like this, that the youth football ranks are so pass heavy that you're going to be able to see a lot of different talent coming through the wide receiver group almost every single year. And it almost makes you wonder if in their minds they're going, okay, well, we trust our wide receiver scouting. Why do you need to force it in the first round? Especially when you have Gabriel Davis signed for the next two years, Stephon Diggs signed for however many years after his extension. Like, they don't necessarily have a problem there to where you need to spend a premium resource on the position. And they also have Jamison Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie there as well this year. So that's that's a bit of the wide receiver thing. Like, is it such a rare resource that, oh, you, you gotta take one. You gotta take one early if, if you're gonna if you're gonna get it, if you're gonna get a good one. They've kind of disproven that within the the players that they've invested in. So how does that translate? I think we'll have to see over the next few years since they've really started to be talking about this over the past offseason, maybe two offseasons. I think the idea of trading up in the third round is is pretty compelling because they would be you know, giving up, giving up uh, one of their late round picks. And I think they would be more inclined to do that for a receiver. Um, but it comes back to, do they have a roster spot for that guy? Is because they still have Marquez Stevenson that they like. They still have Isaiah Hodgins, who they want to see how he develops in his third season. Um, Jake Kumaro is someone that they really like on special teams. They they are probably assigning four spots on their roster to the running back position again with Taiwan Jones back. You know, if they draft a running back, like, is there a spot? I think is is my main question. And I wonder if it's going to be, if wide receiver is going to be addressed if they take a running back at some point. They could. They absolutely could. They can make do at other roster spots, but it's at least worth talking about. So guys like, if they if they whiff on the running back position, guys like Wandale Robinson from Kentucky stands out. John, John uh, Mechie from Alabama is another one. Calvin Austin from Memphis. Khalil Shakir from Boise State. I think those are four guys that I'm probably taking a look at in that second, third round range for them if, if they whiff on a runner. Okay, uh, next up is... <laughs> We'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave the punter for last. Does uh, This one comes from Chad Sealine at Chad Sealine. He asks, does it, his lack of positional flexibility keep Tyler Linderbaum off the Bills' first-round radar? Seems like he checks a lot of the boxes this group looks for. <clears throat> Tyler Linderbaum, for those that know, don't know, is a center prospect out of Iowa. Uh, his relative athletic score is in the high eights. Um, he's someone that, generally speaking, they would like... R- Big wrestling background. I'm sure Sean McDermott loved that. But <clears throat> a lot of teams view him to be center only. And that's an issue for the Bills because they don't have a need at center for the next three years. Or at least they hope for the next three years because they just signed Mitch Morse to an extension. They have a need at guard um, after 2022. <clears throat> but again, is that a position that you're investing a premium resource in in the first round? to fill in 2023 when they have not assigned that type of draft capital to that position 
and not even close at any point in in Bean's tenure with the Bills. The the earliest he has taken a guard was Wyatt Teller. And they ended up trading him, which was a bad move, obviously, but they that that was their only guard pick in the first five rounds. Cody Ford didn't count. They drafted him as a tackle. Um, and yet to be seen what Spencer Brown's going to be. Probably a right tackle for the foreseeable. But yeah, it it begs the question. A, would they take a center only? Probably not. And B, would they take an interior offensive lineman or, or someone who's going to be your starting guard in 2023? Again, probably not unless the player is just so stinking talented and they didn't expect him to be there. That's that's the caveat with all of these positions. If there is a maybe not a premium need in 2023, but the player is just knocking you over the head with with their uh, abilities and and how they could translate into your scheme, then that's that's where the wiggle room lies. But um, generally speaking, they're they're not going guard that early. I will say rounds two to five, maybe rounds three to five, looks like sweet spot. And I think they do need to address some interior depth because they just they have nothing behind Saffold and uh, and Ryan Bates right now and Mitch Morse. I mean. The, their backup center is Ryan Bates, and then then you're putting Cody Ford in the lineup, or Greg Maintz, or, uh, well, not like Butker, or David Quesenberry. They need an interior lineman um, at some point in the draft to build depth and potentially develop as a starter down the line. <clears throat> okay, we've got time for two more. Let's find a good one here. Um... Already did the trade question, which was Kyle Hamilton. Um, Talked about cornerbacks. Oh, here's a good conceptual question, which I liked from uh, at Josh McCarty, 28, who has been listening to the show and has been tweeting at me and has been following for a long time. I appreciate you, Josh, for all the nice things you say, how much you engage. I, I appreciate that. If the Bills had the number one pick in this draft, and could not trade down. Who do you think they would pick and why? If I had to guess, I think they would probably go with one of the edge rushers, which is Trayvon Walker or Kayvon Thibodeau. I don't know that they necessarily would want someone like Aiden Hutchinson just because the the measurables aren't really there and i think that's important to them so with with um Trayvon Walker i mean that's that's all he is right now right like the the projection type of guy 6 foot 5 270 pounds 45 speed 35 and a half inch arms like the the dude is ridiculous um and i think that's that's someone that would be in the conversation uh Thibodeau would would be interesting too, a little bit smaller, 6'4", 254, um, and his arms are almost two inches shorter. But both of those guys are in the the 21 age. Reason why, probably not Jermaine Johnson for this, couple years older, um, even though he, he has the size that they're looking for. So I'd probably side, I'd probably go with Trayvon Walker if, if I had to guess. He, 
I think could factor in in a lot of different ways. They would use him on the interior. They would use him uh, outside, pair him with Greg Rousseau once uh, once Von Miller needed, needed to take some reps. I think that would be a, a good situation for them to be multiple up front. Um, the other prospects, I just not taking a, a cornerback first overall, not taking a an offensive tackle when you still don't know about Spencer Brown at this point. You know, I guess you can make an argument for for a Quanu or or Evan Neal or something like that. But I I'd, I'd probably veer pass rusher with with which with how much Brandon Bean has. <clears throat> Love that position and is always looking to add to it. Yeah, that's the one. All right, and finally, the part of the show that all of you have been waiting for, I have four different punter questions. Sorry, three different punter questions. And I'll address all of them. Punter question number one from John Brown, 557. Will the Bills add a punter? Question number two from at Hurls 13 Connor Hurley. How likely is it we get a Matt versus Matt Puntapalooza, and what round is it reasonable to draft Matareza? And and punter question number three from at Maser12 writes, I know you love a Puntapalooza. What punter is most likely, if any, to be drafted by the Bills? So we're gonna we're gonna just wrangle this up into one conversation. Will they add a punter? I think they will. And it's all about roster spots. And finding guys on day three that are going to make your team or at least have a chance to make your team. I think they want to give themselves a shot at uh, at this punter being that guy for them over the next four years on a cost-controlled deal. I think it makes a lot of sense. So I, I would anticipate that they're going to take a punter at some point. We'll skip ahead to at Macer12's question which is what punter is most likely, if any, to be drafted by the Bills. I think the top two are super compelling for the reason that they kind of represent what the Bills had in their last two punters. Corey Bajorquez was all legs, seemingly inconsistent. Um, They liked him. They claimed him off waivers. They... They really wanted it to work with him, but you know, just the inconsistency was was kind of a bit to uh, to overcome, and some. I'm sure the the contract talks didn't really go the way that the Bills wanted them to. I kind of wonder if maybe that would have gone differently if maybe value is aligned a little bit more. But for the most part. Um, Bohorquez is a lot in the way of San Diego State's Matareza and this big leg, that kind of punter theory. I just use the term punter theory on the podcast. My life is complete now. Ryan's or Jordan Stout, Ryan Stout, Jordan Stout is more of the Matt Hawk. And I don't mean that in like a negative connotation. I mean, the, the theory of Matt Hawk is precision, accuracy, pin him deep, really strong when when you're punting from, let's say, um, your own 45 or the 50-yard line. First off, how dare you punt that that close up, but be it as it may. The Bills do it from time to time. That's that's the 
um, allure of Jordan Stout from Penn State. And the Bills have had both of those over the last two seasons. So which punter theory do they subscribe to more? I'm just going to laugh every time I say punter theory. Which one do they they subscribe to more? It might come down to, to draft day cost. Matt is probably going to go earlier than Jordan Stout. And this goes to Connor Hurley's question, who said, what round is it reasonable to draft Matt Areza? You know, that 130th pick might be a little too early for me. I could see them like being like, oh, there's there's nobody that has this type of leg. Let's let's get him here. But that's that's a great realm for like a tight end or an offensive lineman or a cornerback if they haven't taken one yet. I, I, there are there are other spots that um, that they can get the punter that they don't have to force it with with that pick. I think the fifth round is the earliest I would probably go for Matareza, um, just because you know they're the first four rounds you can you can really do a lot with those and you're not putting undue pressure on on that kicker. Um, so yeah, probably the fifth round, and then Stout. Probably with that, the first of those two six-round picks. I think Tyler Bass was a six-round pick as well, so that would make some sense there. So there's your Puntapalooza talk. I, for one, am thrilled that we're probably going to have a Puntapalooza to talk about after the draft is done. I honestly can't wait. I'm going to go buy a new stopwatch. It's going to be awesome. And if we are lucky enough to have another... Same name, Puntapalooza. Man, watch out. First it was Corey versus Corey, which was Corey Bajorquez versus Corey Carter. Then it was Corey versus Corey versus Kari, which was Bajorquez, Carter, and, and Kari Medvik. And if we get Matt Hawk versus Matt Areza in a Matt versus Matt Puntapalooza, me oh my. What a glorious day that will be. Can you guys hear me smiling? Oh, what what a day. I should not like a punter competition as much as I do, but alas, earwax. All right, that's going to do it for me. Um, thank you to everyone for all of your submissions and questions. They were great. Again, I'm sorry if I didn't get to your question. I ramble. It's a problem. There uh, and you know don't want to inundate you with too long of a podcast before the draft, especially when with so little time to listen before it. Hours are precious before the draft, and I know this to be true. So thank you for all of your submissions. I really appreciate it. All right, so that's going to do it for me. the The plan for the draft. Um, you already have my draft files over at the Athletic. On Wednesday, if you're listening to this on Tuesday evening, on Wednesday we'll be posting our beat writer mock draft which got all of us reporters at the athletic that cover an individual team they threw us in a slack channel and said okay pick trades are allowed tons of fun so that's on wednesday that's posting wednesday morning thursday morning will be my final bills mock draft and that'll be posting bright and early so It'll be my last crack at it. It'll be my first mock draft since late March. I only did two this year. It'll be a full first round and then the rest of the, the Bills picks from there. 
So that's what's on the docket. And then once you get the draft, um, we're going to do a quick little 15, 20-minute reaction here on the podcast uh, on, on the night of the first round pick. Maybe a little bit of looking ahead. Uh, and then once um, once the full draft is done, we'll do a full-on recap episode, big picture stuff, everything like that. Hopefully I, I can uh, get somebody to join me so you don't have to hear my stupid voice the entire time. Okay, so that'll do it. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening, for following, for subscribing, for reading everything. The draft one of my favorites. And uh, all of you make it worth it. All right. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. And we will talk to you on Thursday night slash Friday morning. See you then.